And I would say Janine was probably 10 yards ahead of me. So I didn't see exactly what happened. The vision I have in my mind is her feet in the air. Janine had been stopped head first by a downed tree. There aren't many mountain bike trails in Jackson Hole as classic as the one called Farron's. Over numerous switchbacks on the steep eastern flank of Snow King Mountain, Farron's climbs 1,678 vertical feet in just under three and a half miles. Maybe not the hardest climb in the world, but it's a grind for most people. Meanwhile, the descent has you zipping through narrow corridors in the forest, rounding tight corners with steep drop-offs, and navigating a couple of rocky sections. The trail takes its name from an old homesteader named Enoch Burns Farron, who moved to Jackson Hole from Utah in the year 1900. He soon set up the Farron Ranch at the mouth of Cash Creek, where he cut timber, ran a sawmill, and worked in ranching. Enoch Farron died in 1945 and is buried at the Aspen Hill Cemetery at the base of Snow King. The Farron's trail was built in 2005 by Friends of Pathways, the U.S. Forest Service, and the Montana Conservation Corps. During its construction, volunteers on the trail crew camped up there all summer long. It's since become one of the most popular trails in Jackson due to its challenging terrain, proximity to town, and linkage to other trails. I'm Matt Hansen, and this is The Fine Line. In this episode, we close out Season 7 with a wild story from August 22, 2022. We'll go deep into how a highly experienced mountain biker had a vicious crash on Farron's and how her companions and Teton County Search and Rescue helped her get home during a torrential rainstorm. A reminder that this podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to eliminate fatalities and serious injuries in our surrounding public lands. You can support this project and the volunteers at Teton County Search and Rescue by making an online donation today. Go to tetoncountysar.org donate. And if you like this podcast, please share it with your friends and leave us a review. We'll be right back. The Fine Line is presented by Steel. At home in the Tetons, Steel lives and loves the mountain life. Time spent outside on trails, in rivers, and on summits inspires everything they create. That's why Steel is committed to a higher standard of sustainability using responsible materials like Blue Sign approved textiles, organic cotton, RDS certified down, and recycled fabrics whenever possible. In their 11th year, Steo supports causes that protect our most treasured places and encourages diversity of access. Most recently, Steo has become a climate neutral certified company. Let the outside in at steo.com. The Fine Line is also presented by Roadhouse Brewing Company, supporting backcountry safety and the Jackson Hole community since 2012. Located in the heart of the Tetons, Roadhouse Brewing Company embodies the authentic spirit of the West, where your word is your honor, quality is your craft, and adventure is rooted in your soul. Roadhouse is a certified B Corp, best for the world company, helping to preserve this beautiful land we call home. 
The Roadhouse Pub and Eatery is located on the square in downtown Jackson, and look for their beer and cans at a store near you. Visit roadhousebrewery.com. The bicycle has directly been responsible for creating some of my best friendships, uh, meeting my husband, having my son, and just being surrounded by an incredible community. My name is Janine Fitzgerald, and I have lived in the Tetons since 1996. I've been riding mountain bikes since moving to the Tetons. My husband, Scott, and I owned and operated Fitzgerald's Bicycles for 15 years before selling it and entering into the youth sporting realm. We currently own a company called Buddy Pegs that provides bicycle programming and products, bike products for kids ages two to 10. We started Buddy Pegs to create healthier and happier outdoor kids through the bicycle. Uh, we headquartered Buddy Pegs in Bentonville, Arkansas. So our family now splits our time between Bentonville and Teton Valley, Idaho. Mostly it's just how do we create healthy future leaders of tomorrow because man, the leaders of today aren't really quite quite killing it. And so uh, it's, it's maybe it's a shameless ploy to uh, give our kids a sustainable future. Um, and I've known Janine since I think 2018 when she was going through town and trying to find a, another place to maybe set up buddy pegs and I happened to meet her and then of course just like everybody else wanted to be friends with her instantly. My name is Ashley Patterson. I live in Bentonville, Arkansas with my girlfriend Kelsey and our 14 year old dog Nancy. I'm a registered nurse. I was in the ER but left bedside nursing during COVID and now I work from home on the quality assurance side. I've been riding, racing over a decade now, anything bike related, I'm basically into. And then my new friend, Steph, we met August 22nd. My name is Stephanie Thomas, and I've lived in Jackson, Wyoming since 2002. Uh, I've been a volunteer on the search and rescue team since 2007. I've got three kids, and my husband and I love adventuring with them all over the valley, including our dog, Hank who's a huge chocolate lab. My day job is running the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation, which I've been doing since 2010. Yeah, I, I mean, it actually started with uh, Polly Cronaghi. <laughs> she worked with me at Anthony's back in the day, and she took me on my first ride up Cache Creek. I mean, I'll never forget it. I remember thinking, holy moly, like Hagen was like the hardest ride I thought I'd ever I never would be able to complete it. It was insane. Started that with Polly, and then it kind of became a quick joke, got into a little bit of racing. And that's how I met my husband, Scott. He was servicing bikes at Hoback. And then he started his own little repair shop. And I quickly started taking my bike to him. And then when I was invited to ride bikes in Mongolia with a couple of the girlfriends, I was put in charge of figuring out bike mechanics because I was the only one who really biked. Uh, the other two ladies were outdoor enthusiasts mostly. I hired Scott to teach me bike mechanics and then he was, I always said he was kind of the, a single bike shop owner who could, you know, feed the bike addiction. And then um, we connected from there. So obviously I got into that world with him running Fitzgerald's bicycles for all those years. So from a business perspective, it was part of my life. From a recreational perspective, it was part of 
my life, you know, through all my travels, moving to Bentonville, the amazing community I've created there has all been connected to the bicycle. I mean, you ride a bike, you meet people and everyone just, you immediately mesh. I feel like it doesn't even matter what your background is. You just quickly connect. My girlfriend and I had just finished a van like the rest of the country. And we had this long month long trip. I went out to do Leadville mountain bike race in August. And then I wanted to do Rebecca's private Idaho gravel race in Sun Valley, Idaho. We had kind of matched it up with, well, we'll go see Janine. We've wanted to do that for a few years now and haven't been able to make it happen. And so um, this was the perfect time to be able to do that. And so we hadn't ever been to Jackson either. And so after Leadville, we kind of migrated out. We landed in Jackson for a day. Farron's was the backyard trail, you know, all those years of having Fitzgerald's bicycles there at the brew pub. You know, I've ridden Farron's a million times. Um, I love that trail. I don't feel like it's uh, uber technical other than the fact that, yes, it's it's exposed in spots, um, you know, the narrow trail there, and it does drop off. So you don't want to mess up and go off the side. I always do look at weather because I am a, I have a visceral reaction to lightning and thunder. I get really scared. I remember when I used to train uh, to rat race and, you know, wear a heart rate monitor and all that fun stuff. Uh, I would be doing nothing. Uh, like walking out to get my bike and I would hear thunder or lightning and my heart rate would go up uh, automatically. So I have always struggled. If I even see that there's a cell coming through, I won't go out. Um, so I don't know if it was just because I knew we were in a time crunch or I was so excited to see them. Uh, they were working out of the library. So, you know, I stopped in, grabbed them. We went to the trailhead. And literally the last thing I do remember is telling them where I put my hide a key for the van. I remember specifically parking the van in Cash Creek and saying, this is where my key goes. And then everything else is gone. Janine, you most definitely did. Okay. <laughs> you, you knew exactly when it was supposed to get possibly questionable, maybe a little stormy. And it, I mean, it was the day when we were like at the library getting ready to go ride, it was beautiful. It was sunny. It was warm. I remember when we hit the trail, the trail was perfect. It was perfect. Jackson during the month of August is often hot, dry, and smoky, with many trails turning to moon dust due to repeated use and lack of moisture. The average rainfall in Jackson for August is a little more than one inch. In 2022, the town and surrounding areas received 3.65 inches of rain, nearly triple the average. So the trails last year were in really good shape, even deep into summer. But uh, yes, you, <laughs> you mentioned it several times because I know you. Yeah, you don't want to get caught in a storm. You know exactly when it's coming. And you did. You, Kelsey and I joke about that a lot um, of how many times that you mentioned when it was coming. And so oh. that was on your mind. It was on my mind only because it was on yours. I knew when, how much time we had um, yeah. before it was supposed to get, like I said, questionable. We didn't know how bad it was going to be, but we knew it wasn't a small storm. But yeah, you you definitely mentioned that a couple of times. Like Janine said, it wasn't super technical, which was 
great. I just wanted to spin. Thankfully, um, I had some leftover fitness from Leadville. So the climbing was fantastic. I loved it. it. You're in the trees so much. You can't, you don't quite get where you're at until we, we got a little further up and you can start to see out. I mean, it was beautiful. It was gorgeous. And the, the lights from sun setting and then the clouds, I mean, it was, I loved it. I loved every bit of it. I will say Janine is so, she knows the trail so well that, I mean, she's talking about what meets up where and, you know, where that could take you and past rides. She's, it's always so entertaining to ride with her because she knows so much about the area and the trails and she has ridden on them so much that it's like story time all the time. And I love it because I can just breathe and ride while she tells me about everything. So I will say on top of that, I was trying to still take in. I'm also a very visual person. So I was trying to figure out how do you spell Farron's? I wasn't quite sure exactly how she, what word she was saying. And then, <laughs> you know, there's other trails I was trying to keep up with of like, are we still on Farron's? Are we on another one? But no, I loved the trail. She she was excited to get to the top to snap a picture too, because where it kind of opens up at the top is, yeah, like you guys know, I mean, it's it's gorgeous. But uh, Ashley, my question to you was, as we were going up, did I say anything about that rock? Was I like, oh, whoa, look at this. Yeah. It's, more, it's more clear than normal. Yeah, you did. You, you talked about the rock again. I'm just trying to take it all in. So I, it wasn't notable to me, but you did mention the rock and you felt like it was further in. On the last switch back up Barrens, you encounter an interesting little notch in the trail. On the uphill side is a big white boulder that for years was a defining feature of that section of the trail. There are a lot of stories through the years of people hitting that rock and getting tossed over the side of the trail. And because people were giving it a wide berth, the edge of the trail on the opposite side was starting to fail. That's why in 2019, Friends of Pathways partnered with the Forest Service and a youth trail crew to hammer and chisel and trim that rock away. The rock is still there, but it made some jaded locals grumble about the trail being made quote-unquote easier. But you still have to avoid it, and you still have to watch the steep side of the trail. You know, I keep wondering in my mind, other than the fear factor from the light, like being nervous and hasty, did I feel like, oh, I can clear it now easily? Because I know historically you always, you know, you know, the, you know the rock and you take it slow around the rock. And so that was just a question that I never really verified or, or asked about. But it's interesting to think that it was enough to make you kind of stop whereas is it is it now teetering on the edge of oh I totally got that <laughs> and you don't but it's interesting just two days before this ride Janine had competed in a burly downhill race called sticks and stones over at Grand Targhee that race drops 1300 vertical feet in two and a half miles so she was feeling pretty good you know, from the top of the gi down, sticks and stones, just a tech, rock tech extravaganza. Um, super fun. You know, you just go do it. And obviously at 49, I totally won my age group. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, <laughs> crushed my age group. 
uh, that's where we'll stop that conversation. Um, and I was the only one in my age group, but whatever. Um. <laughs> Near the top of their climb, the two women emerge from the forest into a nice big meadow. The first time in a couple miles where you aren't surrounded by trees. And there's a beautiful view of the Tetons and the Elk Refuge way down below. With the storm quickly approaching, they stopped to take a photo, had a couple sips of water, and then got ready for their descent to drop back into the shadows. So we, we snapped a pic. From there, you had and you even mentioned it. You didn't want to you didn't want to stick around at the top. Let's just cruise on down and get back, mainly because of the, the storm coming in. Those of you who know the boulder, know the trail, know that we weren't far from it. And so we had really kind of just let off the brakes and were cruising. And I would say Janine was probably 10 yards ahead of me. So I didn't see exactly what happened. But the vision I have in my mind is her feet in the air. And at that moment, I, I, I didn't know. I mean, Janine's an amazing writer. I, I have all confidence in her. So even when I knew she had wrecked, I didn't know obviously how bad it was. And so I saw her tree or her uh, bike kind of wedged up on a tree. And then at that moment, <laughs> you know, you kind of start putting everything together really quickly. And she was pretty far down um, where the trail, again, those of you who know the trail, it, it drops off probably, I don't know, there's like, three, three and a half feet before it then drops off to like a ravine. It just, it's down pretty steep. And Janine had been stopped head first by a down tree 20 feet down. So, and if that tree was not down, I don't know how far, you know, she would have gone. You know, I'm hollering to her and I'm not getting any response. So at that point, of course, it's not funny. <laughs> you know, we're, I'm trying to assess the situation as to how bad it is. And I didn't mention this before, but on the, on the way up, again, Janine knows everybody, which is a lifesaver in this situation. But we ran into this guy, Tom. I do not remember his last name. He gave me his card. I, for, I cannot find the card. And they chatted, they, you know, reminisced on some old times, but Tom actually passed us. Oh, when we were taking our picture, he passed us and continued to ride. And then he was going to turn around and come back down as well. But that comes in later. My name's Tom Wetherich. I've been in the Valley since 91 or 92. I have a computer business here in town that I started in 95. And uh, I have a little experience with the whole search and rescue because I needed their help before. <laughs> uh, that day, it was just an August day. It was starting to get colder out. I just hopped on my bike and got on the, the trails over on Snow King and was kind of putting up, taking my time. Ashley and Janine came by and I kind of tried to hang with them for a minute and I couldn't. <laughs> so we kind of chatted a little bit. Because uh, I recognized Janine from whatever Pearl Street Bagels or wherever it was in the day, right? Because, you know, we've all been here forever in a day. But uh, 
I couldn't breathe that hard and talk. So I just was like, yeah, see you guys at the top, you know, or whatever. And uh, it was going to be a sunset ride. And the weather was looking a little iffy. So I was kind of wanted to just get get it done. So, yeah, Janine is, is face first, head first down uh, this little ravine. And it's not it's not easy even to get to going downhill for me to get to her. And by the time I got to her, you know, I, I think there was some loss of consciousness. She was awake at least, but not making any sense. There was no words or answering any questions. And so there was just honestly moaning. Tell me if this is too much, you know, description of anything, because I know it can it could be triggering or, I mean, it's hard to hear, but I got on the downside of her just so I can see her face. I wasn't quite sure if we had a spinal injury or she was still not answering any questions, but you know, I'm looking at, okay, she's bleeding from the mouth. She's bleeding. Her knee got caught on a rock somewhere, sliced it open. I was worried because like I said, she was caught by a down tree face first and it was basically across like not quite to her neck but like her sternum was where the tree was and so I I, you know you you don't know what actually stopped her when she was able to not like moan if I'm like touching her spine and touching her like can you feel your fingers and she could answer it to an extent enough to where it's like okay I feel like we can we need to get her up then onto the trail because like I said I I didn't know if I needed to leave her where she was at and get help or if she was mobile enough to to get back up to the trail but we got her helmet off and her pack off and flipped around even head in the direction of the trail was hard enough she helped a lot but uh it was still you know she was pretty dazed (laughs) the steepness of it allowed me to get behind her and basically we were both on all fours but I just had my shoulder just stabilizing her behind her butt and we were both just crawling out and I'd kind of shove her with my shoulder and crawl and then we got up to the trail enough to where she could sit upright against a rock you know at that point I'm I know I looked at her pupils to make sure there wasn't any sort of head bleed. Obviously, there was a concussion, but again, I didn't know how bad everything was, but I knew it was it was pretty bad. At this point on the trail, she was coming to enough to, like, her personality was there already. Uh, I don't know what you all have in the summertime. Is it mosquitoes? They are wild and relentless. And so I remember that being one thing that you were like, we got to go. We got to get out of here. These bugs are driving me nuts. And, and I'm like, let's wait just a second. Just let me, you know, let me figure this out to like how bad things are. And at that point, you know, you're like, oh, my shoulder, my shoulder and my thumb and what the heck happened to my knee. And, and so I felt like, okay, you know, there's nothing like extremely serious, but my next thought is now how the heck are we getting her off? Because in my memory, we had literally like 
topped out on our ride and then we were going to turn around and head back and this had just happened. So in my mind, we were so far away from the car. I'm like, how are we getting her down? Janine was more than willing to get going at that point, which was, which was nice. So once I did like the, what little I could do as far as assessment, I did feel like if she was willing to get down the trail on two feet, I was more than happy to help her do that. So at this point, I'm thinking that's what we're going to do. I I had called Kelsey, my girlfriend who was down hiking, but I assumed she was around the trailhead to let her know the situation and that I'd be calling her back with if I needed her to send help. And then Tom rolls up. So basically, I, I was up on the, the top. It was a nice sunset up on the saddle there. I turned around and there's the upper switchbacks, the upper flow trail, which is really nice before you drop back into the north side woods of Farron's. And on that first switchback from the saddle, when you're in the woods, there used to be a really obvious rock sticking out in the trail. And I think they did some, some trail work there to make it less of an obstacle, but it's always been sort of this thing that you don't want to clip it, right? And so as I'm coming down, Janine is just sitting on the trail, basically um, groggy. So I stopped to ask if they needed anything and to find out what was going on. At that point, I realized it was a pretty big deal. The insects were out of control. I realized there was a, it was a pretty serious mechanism of injury. So Janine wanted to keep get moving. She was super agitated from the mosquitoes. I took a break and I just did a quick hack assessment of her C spine and her vertebrae. I didn't know, I didn't see her ribs. Her awareness was pretty low. And I thought it was probably going to be a good idea to get search and rescue. But the mosquitoes were so bad. Janine was like, I got to go. I got to get out of here. So she stood up and she walked like 10 feet and said she might get, she might get sick. And so at that point, I'm like, no, we're calling search and rescue. You know, she's obviously had some head injury. You know, we don't want this to go from bad to really bad. So I called search and rescue and then I put the phone in my pocket. So I never heard them call back. And we just basically started plodding down the trail and it got dark and then it started hailing. And so I called Kelsey back and let her know the trail we were on and to start heading our direction because I knew I was going to need help at some point. If anything, you know, we had to get her to the hospital and I decided to stash Janine's bike at the top and then he was going to roll his bike and my bike down. And so once we start descending, that's when it's like, oh yeah, it's definitely going to get dark on us. We're heading down. You're on probably like a 10 second loop on what the heck happened? Where are we? I have no lights. I do not have lights on my bike. I had my phone flashlight and that was that was it. Like there were loud claps of thunder, huge lightning, and it I mean it would be pitch black and just light up the forest. And then Janine the whole time, you're on that 10 second loop. You had just gotten a tattoo that day and it was on the inside of your arm. And every 10 seconds, you were blown away 
by this tattoo and you're like, is it, what is this? And then it'd be like, is it real? And then you'd be like, ah, that's sick. So like every time you had discovered this tattoo, I was terrified that you're going to be like, what did I do? Or like, who, who like, let me do this. But every time, man, you were pumped about your, your tattoo, which was so relieving, but just little things like that, where it's like, I, you're pumped about this tattoo. We'll keep you on that, you know, just keep going down. Um, but while all this is happening, I didn't realize that Tom had indeed got a hold of search and rescue, which again is, was a lifesaver. So that particular evening, it's August. Um, I got little kids. They still go to bed pretty early. Uh, I do remember my husband was home. Um, All my kids were home. And I got the call that just says, uh, injured mountain biker on Barron's, respond to the hangar. That's Stephanie Thomas. I know that the incident commander is Alex Norton. I text Alex and just say, hey, I'm at home. Do you need me to come in or what do you need? He responds, do you have access to an electric mountain bike? to get to the patient quicker, which fortunately in this town, there's a lot of access and a lot of great community members. And so I said, give me a minute. And I call my neighbor, Hal Wheeler, who also owns a bike shop in town, uh, the Hub Bicycles, and say, hey, I've got a rescue up Farron's. Do you have a charged e-mountain bike I can borrow to respond? And he, of course, says, yeah, in my garage. So I walk downstairs, I quickly get dressed. It's As Ashley was saying, the weather was warm. So I throw on shorts, a uh, long sleeve shirt. I throw a rain jacket, an extra puffy in my backpack. But I'm not bringing a ton of gear because in my mind, I know there's a storm coming, but I, I think I have a little bit of time. Pack my bag, uh, tell my husband, hey, I'm out. I'm heading up Ferrance. I'm going to respond to this call and walk across the street where my very friendly neighbor is you know, pumping up tires and actually asked me at that point, he's like, do you need a light? Because it's not quite dark. And I was like, yeah, do you have a light I can borrow? And he's like, oh, yeah, I've got this sweet, huge, you know, light that I use for snow biking all the time. I'll just I'll put it on the bike for you. So he puts on this big light, and I jump on a bike and take off. I have an e-bike at home to commute with the kids, but I don't have an e-mountain bike, and I've never been on one. So kind of a new experience. I'm heading up the trail, and I'm pretty impressed on how fast I can roll um, on this thing. Just to note, e-mountain bikes are illegal in the Cache Creek area, but in life or death emergencies, search and rescue personnel do use them to respond to patients as kind of a first piece of this, um, just so we can get to patient care really quickly. And so we do have e-mountain bikes uh, at our hangar, and then, you know, I'm in East Jackson, so I just grabbed one for my neighbor. Um, But I also know, like, while I'm doing this, like, be respectful. If I run into anybody, I'm going to pull off. You know, I'm going to tell them kind of what I'm doing and why. Um, so, yeah, I start flying up the trail, and pretty quickly it starts raining really hard. And I'm by myself at this point. Um, I know there's a search and rescue member in front of me, Cody Lockhart, left from his house. He also leave, lives in East Jackson. While we're descending, so it's got dark, and then now it's, you know, it's raining and storming. And then it starts hailing, which at that point it was almost laughable as it can't get any worse it cannot get any worse at this point because i barely know where i'm at um tom is helping and 
the storm has gotten about as worse as it can get. And, you know, it's at that point, I guess because you all had gotten so much rain, it was like the trail was like a river. So we're, you know, I'm trying to manage my way down and I'm wearing clipless pedals that day. So I'm like, you know, got my little cleats that are sliding around on the rocks. And Janine is, you're just cruising because you're not quite sure what, like what's going on, but also I'm unsure of what you can do physically. So I keep having to slow you down. And I'm wishing I would have gotten some extra layers, but at this point I'm still going. And then I'll come around a corner and I just see like a little light. I think at this point, um, Cody Lockhart had arrived on scene and I just see these two women just kind of stumbling down the trail a little bit. I mean, the conditions are terrible and kind of throw my bike down and check in with them. I remember Steph comes out of the darkness and it was like an angel because you walk up and immediately you, I mean, again, Janine and you, you know each other and you're like, Janine, it's Steph. And then of course, Janine gets so excited. I'm so excited to see Steph and that they know each other. And it's like, now everything's going to be okay. And so it was, I mean, honestly, one seeing help there was, I mean, huge. It was, I, again, I barely know where we are. And so it, it was such a relief, but also I will say, and I talk about this all the time, but like your manner, Steph was unreal as far as just like calming and uh, like reassuring us the whole time. I mean, you, you can reassure Janine, but she was, she was, happy to be out on a hike or whatever she thought she was on. It was, I don't know, you just handled it so incredibly that it was, I was immediately assured that like, everything's going to be fine. We'll get her off. And at that point too, Janine, you were visibly shivering from just the rain and everything. And so Steph, uh, you had a coat for her. And so it was just, anyway, at that point, I just feel like everything kind of, I could take a deep breath and everything was going to be okay. And I saw that Cody was in the back kind of walking a bike with him. I saw that Ashley was completely in control of the situation. Like I walked up and you could tell she had her like mama bear seen on. She was making sure Janine was okay and she was not going to leave her side. So she's doing a great job. So I'm not there to like push her out of the way or take over the scene. Like I'm there to support her in helping her friend get down because the last thing I want is anybody to be uncomfortable on a rescue. So they had been walking for a while, um, but we still had a while to go because I knew that our razor, which was equipped with seats to get Janine off, was going to be on the Hagen Highway to be able to get back over to Snow King and drive her to the bottom. Cody and I responded by bicycle, but everybody else was at the search and rescue facility getting ready to go respond with the razor as well as more people. And so there's always, we weren't the only people responding. We were just the first people there. There was more people kind of getting ready with a plan of like what we're going to do if we need to wheel Janine out. Like if she suddenly can't walk or, you know, we can't access her the way we think we're going to. So they're all at the hangar kind of getting ready while we're responding kind of first on scene with patient care. As search and rescue members, we need to assess our patients, and then our best course of action is to move them as quickly as possible. And so there's part of me that sh thinks, oh, I should have stopped. I should have, like, talked a little bit more 
carefully with Ashley to like assess like how well did you assess her spine? Like how well did you kind of get into this? Like where where should I go medically with this? But the way they were moving and like when Ashley very quickly told me she was a nurse, I was like, okay, I'm going to trust right now that with this storm that we're standing in, we're in a huge lightning storm. It's hailing. There is a river going down the trail. We got to get out of here. Um, it's one of the things that search and rescue, like there's not a lot of higher level medical things you're going to do on scene that wouldn't be better done in a warm, dry ambulance or hospital. And so at that point, I'm kind of taking Ashley's word. I'm looking at Janine. Yeah, she is on her 10 second loop, but I'm kind of looking at her and going like, okay, we just got to get out of here. She's moving. She's mobile. I'm not going to stop her. She's freezing. And we did grab a jacket out of, I think, Cody's pack, put it on her. I think we both went with the instinct of like, if she's moving, let's keep moving. Um, She seems pretty comfortable. She's walking. Um, Yes, she does have a really bad concussion, but there's nothing else that's showing us. She's not getting any worse as we're assessing her as we walk down. She's talking continuously. So we know she's conscious. She's able to have conversation and she's still moving. When you see somebody that you know that you get to respond and and kind of take care of in that moment, it's like this feeling of like, yes, this is why I do this. This is why I've been on this team for over 15 years is to show up on somebody's worst day and try to be a little bit more helpful. I mean, Ashley would have gotten her down without me. That's for sure. Uh, but I just feel this moment of like, oh, my gosh, this is somebody who more than anyone else does like needs this help right now. And I'm so excited to be here to help her. And I mean, the storm was really bad, but I didn't think about the storm at all. Like I was just thinking about like Janine and Ashley and making sure Ashley was okay. And just kind of where we needed to get to and the logistics of it. I definitely went into slow motion, SAR logistics mode of how far we had to go walk. And I kept giving updates. Uh, You know, my cell phone, actually, I had my cell phone. So people from the hangar kept calling me and asking me, like, how far we were, what we needed, that sort of thing. So I was walking with Ashley and Janine, but I was also kind of giving updates back to Incident Command on how quickly we were moving, where we were going to meet somebody, all that. Yeah, so search and rescue members actually came up the trail. They left the Razor kind of at the turnaround on the Hagen Highway. They kind of had that same reaction of like, oh, we should stop and assess the patient. And I was like, no way. I know that that Razor is 200 yards down this trail. Like, we're we're getting her to this Razor right now. And so there's four people there. Um, there's kind of a little bit of a, like, decision on – who we're going to put in the razor. And I was pretty adamant that somebody that knew Janine needed to be with her since she was in this loop. And Ted Kyle was there and he's like, oh, I know Janine. I'll get, you know, I'll help her get out, get her down or whatever. And at this point, I didn't know that Kelsey was out on the trail. Ashley had kept that one to herself. I think for good measure, she wanted to make sure Janine was in the razor and then we were going to deal with the next issue. But Ashley was really determined that she was going to go to her van. She was not going to get in the razor she was going to her van. And so I wasn't going to leave her out there. And then the RP was also needing to get back to his car. And so we gave Janine to the search and rescue crew with the idea that they were going to drive her straight to the hospital instead of go down and wait for an ambulance or transfer to an ambulance to drive four blocks. They were just going to drive her straight to the bay in the in the razor, kind of to cut down on transitions and she didn't know her story anyway 
So it wasn't really going to be that helpful. And so then Ashley and I and um, Cody Lockhart and Tom started heading back towards Cache Creek. And it was still, it wasn't raining as hard, but the trail was like full ice skating rink. And we're heading downhill now. And now we're on bikes. We're actually riding at this point. And so there's definitely a safety precaution there. And Cody ended up cutting out early. Um, his house is is right at the end of that Jack's Access Trail. So he cut out early. And I said, I'll just ride these guys down to the Cash Creek Trailhead. I'm not sure where we left Tom. I think maybe right at the end of Cash Creek, he went left and right. But as soon as kind of Cody peeled out, Ashley confided in me. She said, look, I haven't said anything yet, but my girlfriend, Kelsey, I don't know where she is. And she's not answering her cell phone. And I really hope she's at the van, but there is a chance that she is out on Farron's walking around. And so I was like, okay, well, when we get to the van, we'll just deal with what we got. Like we're going to, we're going to assess this situation, but let's get to the van and then we'll see what we got. And so we kind of slip slide road down Hagen Highway, got to the first parking lot right at the Hagen entrance, and Ashley's yelling for Kelsey, and she's not there. And she's, like, kind of pounding on the glass to her van, and she's like, she's not here. And I'm like, okay. And so I pick up the phone, and I call Incident Command, and I'm like, hey, we might have a second rescue here. Kelsey's not at the van. I'm just going to go do a quick recon, but send the razor full of volunteers back to Cash Creek because we're going to need backup. And they're like, okay, sounds good. So I tell Ashley to stay at the van. I'm like, don't move. Stay at the van. I'm just going to do a real quick recon of this like parking lot, lower trail area. And so I go down into the parking lot and I just start screaming her name and I hear Kelsey say, I'm here, I'm here. And I'm kind of trying to figure out where she is. I know the Cash Creek drainage pretty well. And I whip around. I tell Ashley, I'm like, hey, I'm going to get her. Stay here. I ride down the river trail. I don't ride very far, maybe a minute. And I see this woman kind of like hobbling down the trail. I mean, her knee is in like a full brace and she's crying and she's walking down this trail. And I just kind of toss the bike. I'm like, are you Kelsey? Yeah. Do you need a hug? Yeah. And I just gave her a big hug. And then I was like, okay, I've got Ashley. Janine's at the hospital. We're going to go. And so we get back. They reconnect. And I call IC. I was like, got her. We're all set. And then they're like, well, you need to get them to the hospital because the hospital has no idea what happened because Janine can't tell them anything. And I was like, okay. So then I hang up. I say, Ashley, Kelsey, you guys have to go to the hospital. They're like, where's the hospital? Because they have they don't live here. They have no idea. So I jump on my bike, and I say, just follow me. And so I ride the e-bike out of cash. They follow me with the van. Ashley, I don't know if you remember this, but, like, I'm coming down that gravel road, and I – do you see – remember that raccoon fox? Yes. Like, runs right in front of my bike. I'm like, I'm going to get a bike accident right at the end of this whole ordeal. I, I was wondering if you were going to mention that because we both we were like, God, she's so cool because you're still so calm of like, look at this animal here. And then like, all right, let's keep going. <laughs> it's like a giant raccoon, which I don't feel like I see raccoons very often. Runs incredible. And then I just basically pull into the hospital, give those guys a hug. 
they're going to like clean themselves up and go talk with Janine. And then I live two blocks from the hospital. So I just ride home. At this point, I am very cold and very muddy. This is where family comes into search and rescue. I pull into the into my house and I open the front door and I'm like, Clay, I need you. And he's like, okay. He comes downstairs and I am caked head to toe in mud. And this beautiful electric mountain bike that I borrowed from my neighbor is unrecognizable. It is so muddy. And I'm like, you have to clean this. Like, you have to clean this bike because I can't feel my fingers and I need to get in the shower and we have to return this bike to our neighbor. And I don't know how much this bike costs, but we definitely cannot buy this thing. So please (laughs) clean it. I remember anything. I remember telling Ashley and Kelsey where the keys are in the van. I remember specifically parking the van at Cash Creek. Sunny, I remember that moment of being excited. And I guess I must have a recollection of Tom because I, again, that, but that is, I mean, that is it. I don't have any any recollection, which I have to say I might be somewhat thankful for because since then I know a couple of folks in Bentonville who have gotten to some pretty gnarly wrecks and where they're completely remember everything and waiting for rescues and oh, Um, it just, yeah. So yeah, no, I do not remember any of it. That was it. I'm just surprised that I had a collapsed lung and I could talk so much (laughs) to you guys. (laughs) And broken ribs and a collapsed lung, and I was blabbing away. To me, that seems crazy. <laughs> the knee was severely lacerated. The collapsed lung, ribs, brain, and you know the brain, the concussion. Sounds like you guys said I complained about my thumb a, a bit on the trail. And when emergency room X-rays, they never took an MRI. They just did X-rays, and they said there was no break. It was probably sprained. And so by the time a month goes by of dealing with concussion PT and the knee wouldn't heal, and then I got a joint, ended up with a joint infection in the knee. It was epic. Uh, By the time I really thought about it, I was like, something's not right with this thumb. This is not just a sprain. Uh, I remember as my husband finally was able to get to the Tetons to drive me and our van and our dogs back to Arkansas, we stopped to camp and I couldn't do I couldn't light my stove for coffee, which is totally unacceptable. And then when I got to Arkansas, by the time it's just harder to get care in a bigger city, that's for sure. The Tetons are amazing for that. By the time I found an orthopedic surgeon, they can get me into an MRI and uh, ended up skiers thumb, funny enough. But yeah, I tore the ligament, that ulna collateral ligament in my thumb was gone. So I had to have surgery on that on November 14th. So it's about an eight to 10 week turnaround. And I'm at week seven. I had two weeks between when my knee finally bent (laughs) and I had surgery on my thumb to ride an e-bike a little bit. And so, yeah, it's been a little epic, but again, I could have been dead. You know, I'll take what I can get. One thing I've always said, you know, mountain biking, I love it so much. And when we moved to Bentonville too, I was like, great, you know, I'm not getting any younger and I want to ride every day until I die. But now being back in the Tetons and ski touring a little bit, the OT over here in Teton Valley, she's awesome. She made me this awesome brace while I'm holding a ski pole. I love the Tetons for that reason, because in Arkansas, they were like, you can't do anything for 10 weeks. I was like, you don't understand. I'm going home for Christmas and I'm going to want to get some skiing in. So uh, 
you know, but as I've been touring, I'm starting to realize that ski touring is a lot more gentle and friendly on my body <laughs> and looking around. So I don't know, maybe there's a little bit of, I don't know. I, I don't think I'll change anything once I can get back to mountain biking again, but uh, I've realized I don't know, maybe it's just realizing I'm get, getting a little older and things don't heal as quickly and running a business and having a kid, check yourself before you wreck yourself, maybe mentality. I think what I would have, what I'll do differently next time, maybe again, I don't understand what happened. Did I, was I hasty because I was nervous from the storm? I think that was it. So maybe I need to just know, don't go faster, go way slower. Yeah, so I, I think obviously when I'm riding and and I encounter something like this where I'm nervous about daylight or nervous about a storm rolling in, I need to just take a deep breath and slower is faster maybe in the end and uh, not wanting to put compromise anyone else around me, not wanting to put, you know, an Ashley through that trauma and poor Kelsey, you know, so just knowing that sometimes slower is faster. I would say. <laughs> yeah. So the, the day after I did a little trail run to the top to get her bike, I was needing to still get that down. And so when I got up to where, you know, it all happened, I was like assessing, I'm like, what? Yeah. Same. What happened? And uh, yeah, I sent some pictures to Janine and it, there is a little piece of her orange grip on I mean, it's just on the outermost, like tiny bit of that boulder is a little piece of that orange grip. And so you can, once I saw that, you, I could have, I put it all together. I mean, it really was just nicked the, the grip. And I think it's easy to get some speed because we just, we had just started and kind of let off. And I mean, Janine, you knew the trail well enough that you can kind of let loose a little bit, but but yeah, it was just catching it on that, on that boulder. And then uh, the only thing I can't quite put together is the boulder, you know, on when you're heading down is on your right side where I found her bike on the tree is, I mean, it was still a pretty good ways from the boulder. So it must have thrown you pretty far and the bike was still upright wedged, you know, just kind of leaning against the tree. And it, it just must have like catapulted you off um, to also send you as far and hard down the, on the ravine. But that's the only part I can't quite put together is you hit the boulder and your bike is, I would say, I don't know, 15 feet from. Still on the trail. Yeah. On the top of the trail. Yeah. Well, crazy enough, the grip had no ding. When I looked, I was like, oh, I'm going to have to, I'm probably going to have to replace these grips. And when I went to go look, I was yeah. like, what? This doesn't make any sense. There was zero, like zero mark. It's crazy. When I, when I went to get your bike and I was thinking I was going to have to run it down as well. Cause in my mind, that wreck was bad enough that your bike, oh, I don't know how it's going to be, but I got to still descend the trail. So <laughs> I rode it all the way down and the bike felt great. The headset was a tiny bit loose, but the bike, the bike worked great. And so, yeah. I'm glad well, you got, was, got to ride, Ashley. 
<laughs> yeah, I still got to. I'm descending forwards, dang it. <laughs> I have a lot of takeaways. I, I really am. I'm so thankful for Steph, you, the staff, the search and rescue. I'm grateful for Tom, <laughs> whoever, you know, whoever he is. A couple things that I have thought about from that situation is I know, you know, Bentonville very well, but I I think any ride can turn into a bad, you know, situation quickly. And I think more so in y'all's area, not necessarily, I mean, it can in Bentonville as well, but it, you have a lot easier time getting to uh, help. But I think, you know, knowing your area's resources, you know, I, I, would have eventually myself called 911, but just knowing that where your resources are, if you do have a search and rescue, you know, who to call. I, yeah, like, do I have a charged phone? Do I know the trail that I'm on? It's hard because, you know, like I'm, I'm just relying on Janine, who is a human map. And so I'm just like, yeah, I'll follow you there. I'll follow you there. So when that's not, you know, when that's not there, then you have to know at least who to call or how to how to manage that situation. There are times when in the past I've thought, I want to unplug and I want to go ride and and you want to like not have anything, but I don't I don't know that I will ever do that. I'm so grateful for I mean and even Janine, Steph, you mentioned this, but Janine was worried about me. You were worried about, you know, everyone around you. And just like you were, you apologized so many times because you had just ruined Kelsey and I's trip. And it's like, that is the last thing I'm thinking about. Of course, I want you, you know, okay. I have thought about future rides and how to go about that. It could have been a lot worse. So I think Ashley makes some really good points just in terms of the super basics of, you know, being nerdy enough to tell someone exactly where we're going and how long the trail is or where the map is or, or whatever it is. And I think that those situations of knowing where you are are important and things that we all forget about wherever we are. Um, as soon as you leave your own backyard, well, it becomes easy to just rely on the people you're with, which I think is exactly what we do do to have fun and disconnect. So I'm not saying we shouldn't do that. I just think that sometimes I have to think more about what I want to know before I'm going out adventuring, even if that takes me a few extra minutes to kind of figure out exactly what I'm going to do. I do think, you know, Janine did tell them where her keys were in her car, which I think most people don't do that. Most people don't tell you like, oh, here's where my keys are just in case. I think she knew she has enough instinct to like tell somebody that she had us a backup plan, which is awesome. Now we couldn't find the keys, but that's fine. It's easy to call the Forest Service and tell them that the van's going to be parked there for the weekend. I also think about when we talk about what kind of care search and rescue gives to people, most people directly go to some high-level medical care or some sort of transport that you wouldn't be able to provide, which in some cases we totally do. We have ER doctors that volunteer. We have nurses. We have helicopter accessibility. We have these fancy razors. We have all this stuff, but when it comes down to it, it's just like being human and really connecting with people that sometimes goes farther than everything else. And in some situations, it's all you have. Um, and in this one, that's all we had. Like we, maybe I could have wrapped up her knee a little bit better. Maybe I 
I could have done something, but what everybody needed was just to connect and um, move forward. And I think a lot of sometimes I read those like survival books, but they talk about that in terms of like what makes people survive or keep moving is is really their cope or connection with people. And I think that that's such an important piece that all of us can do in emergencies um, when we were in the backcountry is just give people hope and connect so that we can make terrible situations better. And it doesn't require any fancy equipment or specialized training. But I guess the biggest lesson is, you know, we're busy, right? Family, work, and I do head out on the bike quite a bit. And a lot of times I go out by myself and that week before the accident was my first week here in the Tetons alone with the family back. And I headed out on a number of rides where I just left and went. A couple of them definitely, it was like by the time I was descending, I was like, oh, I should text my husband and let him know that I'm coming down, you know, Drake or I'm coming down whatever trail I'm on. And so just a reminder that, yeah, definitely letting people know where you're going to be. I, I don't think I will be probably riding alone much anymore, especially if it's on a trail that I know that I like to cruise on. There's definitely some like lessons learned on trying to find a buddy or definitely making sure everybody knows or somebody knows where, where I'm going to be. I think that's huge. And I do love that idea of knowing your resources when you're traveling. You know, we do have trail forks now for trails and but being able to get into a community, biking is so popular now in so many places that with a Google search, it's pretty easy to find that phone number. Um, and then obviously 911 is always the first go-to for sure. And then also considering like in, in reach, you know, because in Bentonville, you can call from anywhere. But here, you know, we're on trails a lot where you might not have any cell phone reception. And so, you know, maybe just even having that in reach in the in in the pocket just a tracker of some sort is something that I've considered lately too as well I think that goes back to how I feel like the closest relationships in my life have all been around these whether it's backcountry skiing or or um, biking because there is that level of instant friendship um, I think about when I think there is just that awesome community and I'm sure a lot of search and rescue all of you guys have created friendships outside of just the patient but you know the people you connect with and I think there's just that level of it when you have that level of adventure we all get it why people do what they do why you love it obviously there's risk and um and there's just an instant level of camaraderie and again I think that's why you know our communities are all so tight why we all care for each other so much because we just we get it well, wait till you guys see the uh, drawing of the Teton County Search and Rescue logo. I'm going to get tattooed on my other arm. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Fine Line. I'm Matt Hansen. As we close out Season 7, I want to thank our sponsors, Roadhouse Brewing Company and Steo, and everyone who has come on this podcast to share their incredible stories. I know it's not always easy. And a special shout-out to Stephanie Thomas, who retired as executive director of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation back in June. Seven years ago, she came up with the idea for the fine line, and we are so grateful that she did. Thank you, Stephanie, for that and so much more. Our editing and sound are by Melinda Binks. Our theme song is by Anne and Pete Sibley, with additional music provided by Ben Winship. The interviews were recorded in the studios of KHOL 89.1 FM, 
in downtown Jackson. This podcast is produced by Backcountry Zero, a project of the Teton County Search and Rescue Foundation to eliminate fatalities and serious injuries in the Tetons. We look forward to bringing you more stories of adventure, risk, and rescue when we return for Season 8 in 2024. Learn more at backcountryzero.com.